Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. the fighter versus the rider i'm damon martin he is golf legend matt brown well i guess ufc legend too but now these days he's golf legend matt brown matt what's going on future golf legend <laughs> take, hey, what, take if two. I, what if i go from ufc fighter to pro golfer you ain't gonna Dude. be laughing so much then huh I mean, I'll still laugh because I just can't. It still freaks me out that you're a golfer. But no, I'd be very proud of you if you went and went pro with your golf skills. No, I'm not going pro, and <laughs> I'd probably laugh too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I still like I still can't wrap my head around you being a golfer. Obviously, I saw your golfing the other day with our buddy Jeremy uh, Loper. Now, here's the question, Matt, because here's one of the reasons why I never was able to play golf because I just don't have patience for it. Like I do not have patience for golf. Have you broken any clubs yet? Like that's the key. Like have you broken a club, thrown a club? Have you done any of that yet? Dude, I am actually one of the most patient people you'll ever meet. I'm probably to be honestly, like I'm patient to a fault. Like I, I'm so patient that sometimes like I need to just hurry things up and I'm not, I'm not lazy or anything like that, but Dude, I, I don't like nothing gets to me, man. Yeah, I, that's so, not me, dude. I, okay. I can't. I don't have the patience for it. I know me. Like I, I, I miss a putt. The putter would go flying in the woods. Like I know me. So, oh, it's. I mean, it could be frustrating, but <laughs> man, I, I, I don't know, man. I'm really, really good at controlling my emotions. I, and I, I, I didn't never used to say that because I felt like I was like kind of bragging or. You know, <laughs> talking about myself but i'm like dude i'm actually like really fucking good at it so <laughs> i'll fucking say it yeah do it up man be proud of it trust me there's it's a it's an art form because i definitely do not have much patience i uh i am not that person i i got kicked off the high school tennis team because i threw a racket at somebody and chased him over the net so um but you were on the tennis team i was in high school yeah for like two years that's awesome yeah, so dude, yeah. we're all we're all, cap- we're all capable. Not- we're we're all capable of things you just couldn't imagine. True that. True that. You know, the only thing I feel like I'm not patient with is women. <laughs> I, <laughs> like, I I, uh, I there's a lot of things I'm probably like not I patient with, but that. yeah, no. that's something I need to work on. Like, like I probably don't need to break up with you because you ran a red light you know <laughs> like, <laughs> or because like you ordered some awkward food or something you know what i mean like you're like uh you're like 
You're like Jerry Seinfeld, that one episode where he breaks up with a woman because the way she eats her peas, she eats them like one at a time instead of scooping them up. He's like, yeah, I can't be with you. I can't. I'm done. We, we got to break up. I mean, I feel that. I see where he's coming from. <laughs> yeah, that's when you know you're really nitpicky at that point. You're like, you know, I, I don't really I don't really care for the way you eat your food, so we're just going to have to end it right here. We're good to go. We're done. Yeah, but I just need to be more patient with it, you know? Everything else I'm patient with, but, you know, they, like, want to argue one time, and I'm like, game's over. Like, <laughs> 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 oh man that's cool yeah that's wild yeah i guess i mean listen man to each 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 to their own i don't have patience like that you have three kids though so like that's like you have to have patience ingrained in you to be a parent because i'd like that's another reason why i don't have kids like i don't have the patience work because i would lose my shit i think that's like, where i realized that i was patient because you know the kids they can drive you up the fucking wall and like the whole time i was just chilled i didn't even think it was that bad yeah that's I'm yeah a, that's that's when you know you're a patient person when you can deal with that and not flip out and lose your mind then then you must be a pretty patient person yeah i remember my well ex-wife now she'd be flipping out like getting going crazy and i'm just like what's the problem like they're kids that's what they do like <laughs> what like did you expect this to be easy <laughs> like it, it never made sense to me Hey, you know what? My bench patience patience pays off for a fighter. I mean, that's a good treat, great, good trait to have. I mean, you know, have actually being able to show patience in a fight and training and things like that. Like, you know, knowing that, uh, you know, knowing that things don't get built overnight, it takes time to get better and evolve and all those kind of things. Like, that's patience has got to be a crucial asset for a fighter. Cause again, I don't have patience. I understand that frustration when you want to learn how to do something and you don't learn it quickly and it can get frustrating and things like that. Like, I imagine that's actually a pretty, pretty incredible weapon to have as a fighter, both in training and in execution in the fight. Oh, totally. I, I couldn't agree more. And I, I mean, you see it all the time with this younger generation, these fighters want everything right now they think that they're so good right now and i mean usually there's the, something i have to constantly get through to my fighters all the time it seems like or not even my fighters but just fighters in general that i you know uh, communicate with in different ways have relationships with or come across i constantly have to tell them that the amount of volume that they're putting in versus the amount of volume that they should be putting in like that gap is so fucking significant and they think that they're just going to get good at it in a year, you know, like, Hey, I'll be in the UFC in two years or next year or something. Or, and I'm like, I'm like, dude, like you have so fucking far to go. <laughs> <laughs> like, like that again, that gap of the amount of volume, that, like, like people think that they're putting in, you know, a few hours a day is going to cut it. I'm like, bro, you got to do 24 hours a day. Like every single part of your life has to be this. Like a few hours a day at the gym isn't going to cut it. And, you know, so it just goes back to that being patient. You know, you got to put in that amount of work plus be patient. It still might take years for it to happen. Yeah, and I think that's part of it too is like the frustration. It's like I see, I see guys and girls all the time who earn like a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. And it's like a, you know, it could be a decade or more long process. Now everyone moves yeah. at their own speed and some people, you know, stop training and start training things like that. But I mean, in general, like that takes a lot of work and a lot of dedication to become like a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. But you do see that frustration and that impatience growing people 
when they want it right away. And it's like, you know, like anything else, it takes time to learn. Like it takes time to understand, you know, all these little nuances, whether it's striking or grappling or wrestling and things like that. And you want it, you know, it's like, it's like you said, like knowing like, oh yeah, I'll be in the UFC in a year. Like, dude, you're nowhere near the UFC level. Like right now, like you go to the UFC, you're going to get murdered. Like, and that's that I get it. Like I understand, like I understand that level of frustration. I understand that level of impatience. Cause I felt it in other ways, not in fighting, obviously, but it's true. Like you, we, we are, I mean, we're all guilty of that in some form or fashion when we want something that we're not ready for, but the impatience kind of grows in us and we just want it. Then we don't want to work for it or we just don't want to wait for it more. You know, even, even the working parts, not always the problem. It's the waiting problem. Like we don't have the patience to wait for something to get better. Yeah. And I think a, a lot of that goes back to the, the basic, old school adage of you know it's the journey or it's the journey not the um the destination right you have to enjoy the journey and you know the advantage of uh, you know getting a black belt for instance is right that's why they give you those stripes along the way that's why they give you the different colored belts along the way so you do see progression regularly but you could be dreaming for a ufc fight or really about anything, you know, any noble or worthy um, venture, you know, you might put in all that work and not get any results. That's where people fuck up. They want results right away. Like you might do all that work for years and get no fucking result from it. Yeah. You might get, I mean, I fought on the fucking, you know, local scene for like, you know, four or five years, you know what I'm saying? Like, I was like, dude, like, this is never going to happen. This dream that I have is fucking ridiculous. You know? And I felt this in my bones many times, man, but I just stayed patient and stayed on that grind. And that's where people fuck up. They want it now. And it's like, you know, you have to keep putting in that extreme amounts of volume and the way that I always looked at it was, it was, was like this was, I wanted to put in so much work that there was no logical way that I could figure in my mind that I p- could put in any more work. And if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't, but there is no way that I'll be able to sit back at night and, and maybe write down what I did or think about what I did today and be able to logic that I could have done more. Yeah. Yeah. And also like the effort, you know, beyond just the effort of want to be there, like the understanding that like, it's really hard, like just talk about fighting in general, like we're, we're, we're more adept these days of like understanding that it's, it's a little easier of a door to walk through to get to the UFC than it was like 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Cause the path is, Oh yeah. But even then, like, even then, like, it's not like it's easy. Like, it, we've seen incredibly talented guys and girls come into the UFC and last three fights and never fight there again. Like, it's not easy to do it at that level. And you have to keep your expectations real to kind of circle back to, like, my own, like, myself, like, being a journalist in MMA. Like, I'll get messages every now and again from, like, somebody who's like, I want to be an MMA journalist. Like, what can I do? And I try to give them advice on you know, be patient, uh, you know, pay attention to the local regional shows, get to know the fighters who are local to you, uh, who are fighting locally, who are in the regional show looking for some sort of press, looking to get their name out there, blah, blah, blah. 
And like, not everybody, I want to pigeonhole everyone to say this, but I would say like out of 10 responses, at least seven of those are like, how much money will I make? When do I get to talk to Conor McGregor? Like that kind of stuff. And it's like, dude, like I, I've been doing this for 20 years and I can't just call up Conor McGregor and be like, Hey man, let's hang out and do an interview. Like it just doesn't work that way. Like you have to really bust your ass. I worked for free for many years covering mixed martial arts just because I loved it. Now, obviously again, we're at a different time in the sport where you can actually make money being around the sport. But like, I was like, did I work for free for like four or five years just because I loved it. I loved the sport and I wanted to work in it. I didn't do this full time. So it's like setting those expectations. A lot of people don't want to put in that work. They don't want to put in the time to like, I'm getting out of college and I want to make a hundred grand a year. When can I do that? I'm like, that's the wrong way to look at things. Like that's the exact wrong way to look at things. Well, that's exactly it. Right. Is knowing you may never make a hundred grand a year doing this. <laughs> if you want to make a hundred grand a year, stay in college and <laughs> go get your doctor. Yeah. <laughs> like if that's what your goal is. Like there's simpler ways more proven statistically proven ways to do that. But, you know, I heard this great quote the other day. Um, I don't know if you ever heard of this Cody Sanchez, she buys businesses and she has a big YouTube channel. She, she put a great tweet out and said, uh, you know, getting rich is really fucking hard. Running businesses is really fucking hard. Uh, buying businesses is really fucking hard. Guess what else is being hard being poor. <sighs> And yeah. it's like, okay, choose what hard you want to do. And I was like, dude, that's actually a really great quote. You know, like every, every fucking thing you do in life is going to be hard. So, you know, again, forget about the fucking destination. Enjoy the fucking journey. We're all stuck here on this rock <laughs> together. You're going to be stuck here. You know, obviously like, you know, until you die, enjoy the motherfucker enjoy the fucking journey, put in the goddamn work, put your bite down your mouthpiece, walk forward and let's fucking go. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Like I said, you gotta, you, you get out what you put in. That's, I think that's the easiest way to say you get out what you put in. And if you don't put in that, that, that's one of the things I tell fighters all the time. Like you're going to get out what you put into this. But the one thing about fighting and business and many ventures that are worthy ventures Okay, if you go to school to be a doctor, you are going to get out what you put in, right? If you do the work, like you're going to get your doctorate, you're going to get a job. Fighting, um, I I would bet in May journalism, um, business, that doesn't always work, right? Like you could put in every fucking thing. How many hardworking, um, amazing talented athletes have we seen get to the ufc and get fucked up something shit happened and they don't get anything out of it i bet you've seen it in mma journalism right oh yeah or absolutely absolutely yeah that's what i mean i've seen it in business like these guys that are very talented know exactly what to do they put a lot into a business and they don't get shit out of it yeah so that's where so when i when i talk to people now not necessarily just fighters and you know, they ask what they should do or whatever. Or my kids, for instance, they talk about what they want to do with their lives. And I tell them, what would you do if you knew that you would fail at your result? Not what would you do if you knew you would succeed? Because you don't know if you're going to succeed. But what would you do if you knew that you were going to fail? Like, know it. Like, so, and that's a different way to think about it. When you know you're going to fail, like, would you still do it? Yeah. That's when you know you love something. Yeah. 
Absolutely. No, you're absolutely, that's a hundo. That is a great way to say it. And it's absolutely true. Like I said, because when you look at a sport like mixed martial arts, you know, they say the cream always rises. And because like, we think about the numbers now, we think about the UFC having 600 guys in the roster. And that sounds like a lot. Like it does sound like a lot. And everyone's like, man, that's a lot of people. But then let's think about who's in Bellator and PFL and one championship and guys who are on the regional scene who just haven't gotten that look guys on the regional scene who are the Mike Pyle of their regional scene. And I, I always might use Mike Pyle as an example, Mike Pyle, incredible fighter. And if you ever talked to anybody who ever trained with him said in the gym, this guy is a UFC champion, but he just couldn't quite turn it on when he fought. He always struggled to like flip that switch in the fight in the gym. He was the greatest ever. And in the, and in the in the fight he just struggled at times. Still a very good fighter, by the way. Let me be clear. Mike Pyle put together a great career. I'm just saying, like he was the guy that every time you talk to his teammates, people would say that guy's destined to become a UFC champion. And he just couldn't quite put it together when he actually got in front of the crowd and in the spotlight and all those kind of things. Think about all those people out there. And then you whittle it down to just 600 in the UFC, and that number starts to look a lot more meaningful, right? Because it's not just like yes, that 600 sounds like a lot. But we're also talking about, what, eight, nine champions? Like, that's a one weight class, one champion across, you know, nine divisions or whatever the number is. Start whittling those numbers down, and you start to see how hard it is to find true success at that level. Like, we can sit here all day and say, oh, see, you go to the Contender Series, you get in the UFC. I know a lot of guys who can't get on the Contender Series. Like, they don't get the call. Like, they try, and they're like, yeah, we're not interested. Like, I know guys like that. I know guys who couldn't get on the Ultimate Fighter. I know guys who just cannot get a look by the UFC for whatever reason. So, yeah, like, you can sit here and say, oh, 600, everyone gets signed with the Contender Series, all this kind of stuff. But then realize, when you really, really start digging into the numbers and really, really start digging into the total number of fighters that are out there across all organizations, 600 is really not that big of a number. It was, it was a big number 20 years ago. Ago when MMA wasn't what it is today, but now MMA is huge. There are gyms who specifically just teach MMA. Like they are MMA gyms. People just, so we're in a different age. 600 people sounds like a lot, but it's really not when you start drilling down to how many fighters are out there who would all love that opportunity to be in the UFC. And when you also think about how many countries are involved in the UFC now, because when, you know, when I was coming up, I mean, there was uh, America, Brazil, and a little bit of Europe. Yeah, I, I I can't really think of other countries that were really involved in the UFC at that time. I, I don't know if you can, but you know, so the you know the the amount of countries has also expanded, and when within those six hundred, there's a lot of turnover at the bottom that we don't really hear about a lot, too, right? Like, there's a lot of people that come in, get cut, you know, get injured. I mean, there's all kinds of things that happen. You know, so I guess I'm in the top, what, 0.1% or whatever, you know, in terms of longevity and, and tenure in the UFC, I would think. I mean, I think I'm in the top 10. We we had this conversation months ago, if you remember, we were talking about Jim Miller being a UFC Hall of Famer, and there were people who were saying that, like, he doesn't deserve it, he hasn't put together the resume, and we, argued, we both agreed and argued and said, listen, longevity in the UFC absolutely counts as an accolade. To be in the UFC for 15 years or 10 years, 11 years, and have 20, 30 fights or whatever the number is, I think he's got the most fights and the most wins in UFC history, like that absolutely matters. Like being in the UFC, as long as you've been in the UFC, you got in what, 2007? Is that right? 2007? Eight. 2008. Eight. That's 15 years. Do you know how hard that is to stick around for 15 years in the UFC at this level? Like, do you know how many people come in and leave? Like, there are champions 
who have come in and left inside of three years, four years. Like that's it. There's it is so difficult to do it at this level for such a long time. Like that is a special. Like that's why when people tried to diminish Jim Miller and say, "Well, Jim is you know twenty four and you know eleven in the UFC," or what I'm making that number up, whatever the number is, they're like that's not Hall of Fame worthy. It's like do you realize how hard it is to get to thirty five fights in the UFC? Do you realize how what a difficult endeavor that is to get to that many fights in the UFC? Like how few people have actually done that? Yeah, I think it's. Uh... Well, Bisping, um, Jim Miller, Damian Maya, Tito Ortiz. Tito has like way more fights than I realized. He's he's actually way up there. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the, those are the only guys that come off the top of my head that have like around like thirty fights. Yeah, it's wild. It's wild. That's why I say, like, not everyone's going to become a champion. We understand that. Like, that's the reality. As I said, when you got 600 guys, turnover all the time, and you got nine titles or whatever you can go for. Or in your case, you got one. I mean, I know you fought, and you know, you could fight at middleweight, but I'm saying realistically, you're a welterweight. You have one title. There's not nine titles at welterweight you can pick from. Like, oh, I could be the Ohio UFC champion, or I could be the Midwest UFC. It's one. You get one. There's one title. That's it. Everybody's competing for that one title in your weight class. You know what I mean? It's just like I said, I think people lose track of like how hard it is to do what people do at this level. And I think we take it for granted. We take it for, we definitely take it for granted these days because it does seem like the UFC signs so many people. Like right now we're in the middle of the contender series and they sign four or five, sometimes six people a week. And you're like, man, that's a lot of people on the roster. But you also have to remember a lot of people get released and the UFC's putting on shows every weekend with like 14 fights on a card. We we generally think about it. And we pay attention. We're like, oh, we're going to see, you know, in October, we're going to see Islam Makachev against Charles Oliveira and Hamza Chimaev against Paulo Costa. Those are both huge fights, right? That's massive fights, right? But then we forget about the other 12 fights on the card. And there's going to be a couple people opening the card and a couple people are going to be on the, you know what I mean? Like, so the numbers seem big, but then when you really start drilling down, like they're not as big as you think. And it's still really, really hard because I know a lot of, I think there's a lot of guys who are incredibly talented who have gotten to the UFC, didn't work out for them, and they're gone inside 10 fights, sometimes less right. than that. Right. Yeah. Another one I was just saying the other day, too, was uh, Joe Lozon. Yeah. Because I've just seen his highlight there day of him knocking out Jens Palver. And I, looking back, I'm like, dude, that was a big win, actually. Just, yeah. I don't know. I just crossed my mind thinking about him. No, you're absolutely right. Like I said, we take I think we do take it for granted sometimes though, right? Like we take it for granted when you think about longevity and, and number of fights as like an achievement. It is a it's a huge achievement. Like there's so many people who can't do this. Like I was talking to I, I did an interview the other day with Aaron Pico and we were talking about him training with John Jones. And I said, you know, I consider John Jones the greatest mixed martial artist of all time. And it's not like an offense to, you know, I love George St. Pierre, Anderson Silva, guys who are also in that conversation. It was like, do you realize, I was like, I was at John Jones's title fight when he became UFC champion against Mauricio Shogun, who in 2011. It's 2023. He still has never lost after that. Like 12 years, all title fights. Every single time, every single fight, every single fight he's had since 2011 has been a title fight, and he's never lost. You realize how fucking insane that is, Matt? Like, how insane that is that somebody go 12 years and never lose a title fight in that time period. Like, that's how ridiculous John Jones is. Yeah, that is pretty ridiculous. And <laughs> what, uh, is he, how many does he have now? How many defenses? 
Uh, he's, I'm about to go do his first at heavyweight with Stipe. He had like between two title reigns because he gave up the belt and won it back. I think he had like nine. I think he had like nine or ten or whatever at light heavyweight total. But they were never consecutive because he had to give up the belt when he got in the whole uh, hit and run accident thing. He gave up the belt. DC became champion. Then he got it back and he defended like four more times. So I don't know what the, I did look. I know he's undefeated in title fights, whatever that number is. But yeah, I mean, I, I think total was like nine or ten, something like that. Yeah, it's pretty amazing, right? I think Anderson has the record still, right? Demetrius has the record. Demetrius Johnson has the record oh, with, uh, was it 14, yeah. I think? 12 or 12 or 14. I can't remember the exact number. Yeah, he has the record, and Anderson is number two. Uh, but, but again, that's consecutive. We're forgetting about, again, John Jones. You know, he would have been if obviously his life hadn't been what it was at the time. I think, you know, he probably would have safely cruised into that record. But yeah, he had, yeah, he had separate title reigns because of that. So yeah, it's, it's Demetrius number one, Anderson number two. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S., and visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Gotcha. Well, yeah, well, I apologize if I'm a little tired tonight, Damien. I just got out of my sauna right before <laughs> we jumped in here. Uh, me and Coleman and my buddy Josh, who's fighting this weekend, he's going to go. He'll be moving to the 4-0 after this weekend, assuming that he wins, which he will. Um, yeah, we hit a hard, hard sauna session. Coleman makes sure we push it a little bit extra hard, you know, and um, I think just hanging out with Coleman for an hour – you know, is a pretty high stress uh, amount of time. <laughs> when you add in the sauna and the cold and everything, you know, it was, it was a good time, man. So we, we pushed it a little hard. So if I'm a little tired, a little slow, you know, I got to apologize, but uh, I got to thank Redwood outdoors for hooking me up with the sauna. Got it all together, put a roof on it yesterday and we're cruising now, man. I'm, fucking thing gets hot and 
I'm loving it, bro. It's one of my favorite things about my week now. Having having an at home sauna sounds like such a luxury. Like sounds like such an incredible luxury to have. Like because as we we talk about it obviously for a fighter, but like saunas are beneficial across the board. And having one at home uh, would be huge because that's you know I mean you, generally if you're going to go to a sauna you have to go to a gym and you know not everyone lives near a gym or not like right now dude the gym that I go to um, when I work out is uh, it's it's down in it's literally five minutes from my house but they're doing construction on the road right by my house so it's closed from like four lanes down to two lanes so to get to my gym it takes so freaking long right now because everything's closed down to one lane unless I go at like midnight. Uh, if I go any other time, I have to I have to wait through like a huge amount of traffic, and it's a pain in the ass. And I know that sounds like total first world problems, but like not everyone has access to just you know go to a gym. Some people don't live near a gym. Some people don't live conveniently to where they can get to the gym every day. But guess what? If you got a son at home, it solves a lot of problems for that part for that part of it. Well, I'd, I'd say one, two things. You talking about the benefits, man? I've been researching a lot about the sauna since I finally got one. Uh, man, the benefits are out of this world. Like I, I'm so amazed by listening to Huberman and Rhonda Patrick and um, this uh, Dr. Suzanne Soberg or something like that um, does tons of research on it, but it's amazing. But, but also what I found since having my own home gym or home sauna, I'm sorry, is the, the gym saunas are fucking garbage, man. Like this one, I have a wood fired heater. So I can get it as hot as I want. I mean, I can get, I've had this thing up, uh, 220, 230 degrees before I get it as hot as I want. And since I've been doing this research, it is the craziest thing, right? So there's three types of heat. There's radiant convective. And then there's a, uh, I forget what the third one's called, but it's basically steam, right? Like a wet heat, right? So with the, the sauna, you have, the radiant heat which is the actual fire then you have convective which is the stones and then you have the wet heat in a gym sauna you're most likely only getting one or two of those and rarely are you able to do the uh, wet heat so when you when you get you know the moisture in there you get it humid as hell you know rinse off in a cold plunge rinse off in a cold shower um, go back in right in your backyard. And I got, I don't know if you even been to my house. Have you living five I've minutes been, away? I, I've, I've been to your house. I haven't been to your house since you did the sauna. I haven't seen that yet. So, okay. Okay. So yeah, you gotta come do the sauna. You know, I got the beautiful backyard, you know, my, I have neighbors, but you know, they can't really see in. So, you know, we can walk around naked, whatever, or in your <laughs> underwear. Yeah. <at> <laughs> Only Coleman likes to walk around naked. I was gonna say Coleman probably scares Coleman probably scares the neighbors walking around. He's like, "What's going on, guys?" They're like, "Oh, oh, oh, what's what's going on over here?" He tends to like walking down the street in his underwear for some reason. (laughs) (laughs) I think they have a lot of questions about what's going on there, but (laughs) it works out. Oh my god! Oh my god! Yeah, the police are gonna come to your house, like, sir. We've gotten reports about a nude man running up and down the street around here. What's going on? What's going? He's like, oh, it's just you. It's just UFC legend Mark Coleman running around nude. He did get stopped by a cop walking through Hilliard in his underwear. (laughs) Oh my god, dude! Only Mark Coleman. I don't have any idea what that conversation was like, but if we could get those uh, police records, that would be pretty freaking amazing i would think 
Yeah, I, we need to have Coleman. We need to have a conversation about just running around your underwear. Like that's a touch much, man. Like put on some clothes. Like it's cool. Like you know, like <laughs> there's nothing, nothing wrong with extra clothes on. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, he, well, he, that's what he loves now, man. He loves getting the sun and bare feet, grounding into the earth, and walking miles hey. and miles and miles every day. Hey. Gets it done, and uh, you got a sauna in the backyard. Now you can heat it up too afterwards. Yeah, yeah. I mean, hey, man, he's staying sober and he's living a happy life. So I'm proud of him. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, getting on to some fight, we've actually been off for a couple of weeks, man. I had people messaging me like, "What's going on with the podcast? Where's it at?" And I was like, uh, "We're we're coming back. We had a Matt had some family stuff, and then I had a week a week off. I went to uh, con- I went to a concert and I had Monday Night Football this past weekend to watch the Bengals win their only game of the season, which has been depressing. But I did get to see them win, so at least I got that. So I went down to Cincinnati for a uh, for a few days. You know, what, dude, I, not to get off subject here, I don't know how how often do you get good to get down to Cincinnati now? Like we both lived there before. Like how often do you get down to Cincinnati? Uh, just when I have a reason. So, so not very often. I lived down there, obviously, for many, many years. Uh, they've done so much work and like short, like in uh, race and Vine Street down there. It's like a totally different world down there now. Like I remember what it was like when I lived down there close to campus when I was at the University of Cincinnati. Dude, it's so different now. Like because I don't go to Cincinnati that often. Like I go down there for a concert or maybe to go to a convention or something. I don't like hang out in Cincinnati that often. So like when I would go down, when I went down there, I actually went to dinner uh, downtown. I was like, my God, this looks like a whole different world from when I lived here. Yeah, I think like over the Rhine and all all the places down there that used to be scary to go through now are like some of the nicest places around. It's weird. It's weird how that all changes. So yeah, we've been on for a couple of weeks. So lots of uh, lots of stuff happening in the MMA world. We got a million fights get announced. Uh, we saw Leon Edwards and Colby Covington finally going to fight December. Yuri Prohoshka is going to fight Alex Pereira for the vacant light heavyweight title in November. Uh, we got uh, Shavkat Rachmanov against Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. We got Ian Machado Gary against Vicente Luque. We got Tony Ferguson fighting Patty Pimblett. That's one I didn't see coming. Uh, any fight? Any fight that got announced recently that you're excited about, Max? There's a lot of them. Boy, I think you just named them all. Um, yeah, I, I can't think of anything else, man. So yeah, it's a good time. So yeah, what what do you I mean, what do you what do you make of what do you make of Tony and Patty? Because that's probably one of the more interesting kind of weirder matchups. Because Tony, of course, legend of sport, uh, former interim lightweight champion, been around, fought everybody, but he's obviously on a bad win losing streak. I think six in a row right now. He had the loss to Bobby Green most recently. Then you got Patty Pimblett, up and coming guy, popular, but probably not as good as a lot of people want him to be like he's a super popular guy but we talked a lot around the jared gordon fight about he lost that fight and didn't look particularly great in that one and you know do we see championship level medal in a guy like patty pimblett not, not yet anyways but you know he's taking on a legitimate like one of the there's not like a lot of legitimate stars like well-known guys in our sport tony ferguson is one of them like he's a well-known guy people tune in to watch tony ferguson but it's a weird one because it's kind of like this is do or die for Tony. If he wins, he's he's sticking around. He'll he'll break the pattern. He'll break the loss streak. If he loses, Dana, you know Dana White has already said like I kind of I kind of imagine that's going to be it for him. And what a weird way to go out fighting Patty Pimblett of all people. 
Uh, man, you know, I think this is the right matchup to make, though, and I, I'm glad that they made it. I mean, I think it, Patty's a very winnable fight for Tony, uh, but he's got the star power, you know, to get in there with Tony, right? Like, Tony doesn't need to fight just some nobody off the street uh, just to get a win. Um, and obviously, if um, if Patty's able to pull this out, then he gets – you know, even more notoriety, right? And obviously the UFC loves that, right? Like given the, uh, you know, given the stars, uh, you know, magnification, right? Like magnifying glass for them, right? Like it's, let's, let's blow up, you know, who they are, right? So I think it's the right matchup, man. And I think it's actually a good matchup. Um, uh, certainly, uh, you know, six, seven fights ago, I, I don't think we anybody would give Patty a chance in this fight. Um, at this point, you know, I think um, it's pretty up in the air who's going to come out on top on this, right? No one really knows where Tony's at these days, but it also gives him a chance to get his confidence back and get his groove back in there. If, you know, assuming that he's able to do that, I mean, who, who really knows, right? Yeah. It's a weird one because on paper, like you think about experience and you think about, level of competition well tony blows him away like it's not even close like tony's fought everybody he's fought every top lightweight in the world he was a top lightweight for a long time but it is weird like he goes on this losing streak and now suddenly everyone's like well this seems like a pretty even fight and it is i mean honestly it's it doesn't seem like a you know like a, a mismatch on paper these days that it would as you said six fights ago like when tony fought justin gaethje and they said Tony's fighting Patty Pimble. We said, oh, my God, we trying to get this kid killed. Like, do you just want this kid to get demolished by Tony Ferguson? Now it doesn't seem like that. And I hear the other thing where they're like, oh, man, Tony's you know coming to the end of his career. They want to hurt Tony. I don't I don't really see it that way. I think Tony I still th I still think Tony's a bad match could be a bad matchup for Patty. Now, you know, if, if, if Tony loses, does that show us that maybe Tony really is maybe done? Probably because. You know, even, like there's no shame in losing to Bobby Green. There's no shame in shame in losing to Nate Diaz, which a fight you took on 24 hours notice. You were getting ready to fight a totally different opponent, and you get you know Nate Diaz on on last minute's notice. Um, Benil Dariush, Charles Oliveira, like none of those are bad losses. Like you know, does it obviously they're losses, and he got dominated in a couple of them, but like none of those are bad losses. Uh, and I don't think losing to Patty is a bad loss necessarily, but. I don't think this is like somehow a mismatch or it's like, oh, we're just sending Tony out uh, to be retired by this young up and comer. I, I don't think it's, I don't see it that way at all. And I actually think Tony's got a great chance of winning this one. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I think he should be able to win this one. Um, again, we're just going to see where Tony's at. You know, if he doesn't win this, I mean, I, I don't, I don't see where the UFC would, would take him. Right. Like, I mean, where, where do you even put him at that point? right? Like a, what kind of available options are there? And, you know, the, about your only choice is to bring in, you know, some guy that you should be uh, that probably doesn't have any star power. Right. So Patty is about the only guy out there. I love this matchup because I, th I think Patty's the only guy out there that makes sense. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I agree. And um, I know this sounds, people are going to say this is the wrong way to look at things, but Matt, you and I both know this is true. When you're paying a guy a lot of money, and I know Tony doesn't make peanuts, he makes, you know, he's probably one of the higher-end guys, they're not going to put him on a prelims against some no-name guy from the Contender Series. Like, that's just not how it works. They're not going to pay Tony Ferguson two hundred, two hundred fifty thousand dollars 
to open a preliminary a pre- preliminary card. That's just not how it works. Like he's too big of a name, too big of a star to just put in there with anybody, you know. And um, you know, Bobby Green, like Bobby Green, is like a top. He's a fringe top twenty guy. Like he's not in the top fifteen, but he's right around there, and he's fought a lot of good guys in his career. Um, there's no shame in losing a baby. Bobby Green's headlining the card in days. He's fighting Grant Dawson in a headlining card. Like you don't get that opportunity if you're terrible. Like Bobby Green's a legitimately good fighter. Uh, so there's no shame in losing to him. So I don't think there's any shame if he loses to Patty, but I don't know that he's going to lose to Patty. I think this is a very winnable fight for Tony. But to be fair, I don't think there's really, uh, you use that term a lot, but the, I'm uh, not knock on you for using the term, but there's really not any shame in losing at that level at all, really. <laughs> so, yeah, so um, that's kind of goes unsaid. But, you know, I think Tony would be pretty embarrassed to lose to Patty Pimblett. I, I would say that much, right? Like, I think, um, you know, with his experience and his um, fighting skill, fighting ability and his level, like, he should be able to, go in there and beat Patty pretty handedly. Um, it's just a matter of, you know, is is Tony just washed up? I mean, I guess it, it kind of happens to everyone at some point, right? I mean, I think it happens to the best of us, man, that, you know, we all have a father time is undefeated, man. We all have a time that it's just not going to come back, right? It well, we might also- have happened for Tony. Yeah, I also got to remember damage. I mean, like I said, I always said after Carlos Condit had that fight with Robbie Lawler, like he was never quite the same guy again. Like he still won fights, but he was never quite that same kind of savage in there because he took so much damage. I said like Robbie and Carlos took a piece of each other's soul in that fight because Robbie was the same way. Like Robbie was still good. Robbie, we talked about his retirement, like, you know, it was iconic, but he never, he was never quite the same guy after that, after that Carlos Condit fight. And I think, for Tony, it was that Justin Gaethje fight. I mean, he they went to freaking war, man. That was an incredible fight. He took a lot of damage, and he ended up losing. But you wonder, like, could he ever really come back from that, right? Like, at that point. You know, he's already in his 30s. You know, he's 35, 36 at that time. He's 39 now, I think. Um, you just lose something in there, and it never comes back, you know? And that's just the reality of the sport. And, like, that's like – and, again, it's not like losing to Darius – or, or Charles Oliveira is, is a terrible thing. Um, but yeah, like, I just think like sometimes, man, you just, like I said, it's not impossible to lose a step because you had it beaten out of you. Like, that's just part of the sport, man. Like, we're lucky that there are guys like yourself and guys who are legends of the sport who are, who are still going at a very high level. Um, and, and doing doing really, really well at it because it's not easy. We go back to the whole longevity thing. Like, look at that. Like, there's a great example. Tony Ferguson's been around forever, but it runs out. For everybody, it's certain there's just no rhyme or reason to it, though. You know what I mean? Like, we can sit here and say, like, yeah, he's had six losses in a row. Yeah, but they're not six terrible losses. Tony was in all those fights. He had moments in, in all those fights. And, yes, he lost, but, you know, who's he losing to? He's losing to the best guys in the world. So is it really that bad? Like, is it really a bad loss? No. Um, you know, so, yeah, we'll see. I mean, as you said, you know, we'll see how we'll see how it goes when the fight happens. Yeah, and that's kind of one of the differences in MMA and boxing, too, where you know, boxers, when they lose, like, you know, they kind of take a step down, right, and work their way back up. And, like, Tony never did that, right? So this, it seems like now he is kind of getting that chance to do that. Um, and that's not to take anything away from Patty Pimblett either. I mean, you know, we're going to find out, you know, how he performs against Tony. Like, you know, on his end, it's a tough – I think it's a tough matchup for him because – um 
well, for one, like if he loses, he lost to a guy who's 0-6 in his last six, right? Yeah. If he wins, he beat a guy that's 0-6 in his last six. So, you know, it's it kind of doesn't do as much for him, but it gives him a good name and keeps the the ball rolling for him if he keeps going. But, um, you know, I do see it, at least for Tony, whether or not he's whether or not he's going to win or lose this fight, it is a step down in the versus the level of competition that he's been facing. So I think it's good for him. Yeah, man, I think it's, like I said, I think it's a very winnable fight for him. Um, and a lot of these matchups, men are really good. I tell you what, the one, I'm really looking forward to it, weirdly, even though I don't think it's the fight that should happen, and that is Leon Edwards against Colby Covington in December. They're going to headline the final UFC pay-per-view of the year. Um Matt, I got to be honest. Like it's, I mean, I'm just being honest about this. Like I, I still to this day do not understand what Colby Covington has done to get this title shot. Now, right. I say it all the time. If you're a, if you're a mixed martial arts fan, you got to strike the word "deserves" from your vocabulary because it'll make it'll make you go crazy. And on paper, it should be Bilal Muhammad, undefeated, eight fight, nine fight win streak, whatever it is, beating Gilbert Burns, doing the things he's done. He should be fighting for the title. But Colby Covington has a name has name recognition. He's a little bit of a star. I won't say go as far as a star because we got to remember like Colby's biggest fights have when, when he was fighting Usman, who is also was a star in his own right. And that was a rivalry fight. Like Colby's not been a guy who by himself has just sold a bunch of pay-per-views. Um, and Colby's, you know, Colby hasn't had a win over a guy on the current UFC roster since he beat Dos Anjos in 2018. Like his mm. last two, his last two wins were against Masvidal who retired and Tyron Woodley, who obviously left the UFC and only fought Jake Paul since then. Um, you know, so, like, is this is this the most compelling matchup on paper? I don't personally think so. Not to say Colby can't win. I don't think that's the case. But uh, it's a it's got to be one of the weirdest. It, it, it's very much like we're having this debate recently, Matt, about Cheeto Vera fighting Sean O'Malley and, and, and Cheeto possibly getting the title shot with w- one win. And because he has a win over O'Malley, he's going to get it over guys like Corey Sandhagen or, or Marab Dualashvili or maybe an Aljamain Sterling rematch. Colby is getting this fight because there's the expectations that people are going to tune in to watch him either win or lose. Like People are going to tune in to watch Colby win or lose. It's not really about Colby's earned this opportunity. Yeah, that's a good point, man. I didn't realize he hasn't even you know, since 2018 beats him <laughs> one on the roster. So... <laughs> You know, but like, you know, we've seen Colby fight enough. We know like he's got a good shot here. You know, he absolutely could. This is a win, very winnable fight for him, to be honest. But Leon is just one of those guys that fucking knows how to fucking pull a fight out. You know, Uh, like with what we've seen with Usman. But on top of that, just he just seems to always find a way to get it done. Um but boy, I, I do think that Colby is a bad matchup for him, man. So, you know, this is going to be real interesting. I think it really depends on when you say bad matchup. I think a bad matchup comes down to wrestling because I don't think, I don't think Colby wants to stand and trade with Leon Edwards. That's just a recipe for disaster. I think it's pace and cardio and, and pressure in wrestling, but you know, in that second fight with Usman, like I felt like Leon, because Leon gave up a lot of takedowns in the first fight, or I guess technically the second fight with Usman, his rematch for the title. And then that fifth round, he comes out and gets the head kick knockout, which we all know, you know, shot heard around the world. When they fought for the third time, Leon started shrugging off Usman's takedown attempts, and he stopped 
showing stop letting Usman get him down. I think his confidence kind of exploded in that fight, and we saw it better. We saw Leon Edwards beat Kamar Usman over a five round decision. He didn't knock him out. He didn't need this crazy comeback. He went out there and beat him in a five round decision, and. I think that confidence is going to play a huge part in this game because Colby's pace and pressure and wrestling are all really, really good. But if he can't get Leon down and he's not fighting a Masvidal at the end of his career in a fight where Masvidal just hated him so much, you know, there's just so much emotion in that fight. Same with Woodley. Like they hated each other so much. I know he's going to say crazy things about Leon Edwards. He's going to insult him and all that kind of stuff, but I, I don't think Leon really cares. Um, if he can't get Leon down, he can't pressure him like that. Like he could be in trouble in a hurry. And I'm also a big believer in competition, man. And like Colby's best performances lately have been two losses to Kamar Usman. Like those are his best performances over the last like four or five years have been losses to Kamar Usman. Um, I don't know, man. Like I don't, I don't disagree. I think Leon, I think Colby can win this fight, but I'm leaning pretty heavily towards Leon in this one, to be honest with you. Yeah, so I think if you break it down in the sense of like, okay, if it stays on the feet, we're probably going to favor Leon. If it could, if Colby's able to take him down, then yeah, he's probably you know going to be able to. If he's able to consistently take him down, then it's probably going to go to Colby. But I think it's a little deeper than that because, like, Leon is such a sniper on the feet, and I think when you compare with like the fights with Usman like Usman was kind of trying to play that same game. He was kind of trying to snipe with um, Leon a little bit. And that that's Leon's game. And Usman was having a lot of success fighting like that against other guys, you know, and I think particularly like against Masvidal, you know, who's kind of a sniper himself too. And then Usman ended up obviously like knocking him out, but Colby it just brings a completely different fight to the feet there. Um, and I, I'm not sure how well Leon's going to handle that. Even though Leon is, if it's a pure kickboxing match, I think Leon wins like no problem. And I think if, um, you know, if Colby doesn't fight him properly on the feet, then it's going to be an easy night for Leon. But the way that Colby fights on the feet, I think could bring a lot of problems to Leon on the feet to open up that wrestling and that's where I see, like, when I say a bad matchup, like, because Colby, like, he'll come forward and just throw and not really even care if he gets hit, you know, in the process at, at some points, you know, almost like a, like a light, like a lesser version of like Diaz brothers, you know, he just kind of comes forward and throws and throws. And I'm not sure how Leon's going to handle that. You know, I, I, you're not wrong, but I still think that, like, I think Leon is just a different level of striker than when he, because when you think of, like, when you think about the guys that Colby's fought in the last couple of years, he fought Usman, who Usman turned into a knockout striker, but Usman, I don't think anyone's ever going to tell you that Usman had the most elite striking. Like, he had good power. He obviously had huge power and he had pretty good boxing, but I don't think Usman, even Usman would tell you that he's like an elite striker. He was a good, he was a good mixed martial artist. He could mix things really well together. He could disguise his striking with takedowns and takedowns with strikes. And if you made a mistake, he'll make you pay for it because he can put your lights out as he did with Jorge Masvidal. Um, but we saw him when he fought Gilbert Burns. Like Gilbert Burns dropped him on the feet. Like it's you know Kamara was never an elite, an elite. Not saying he was bad. I'm saying he was never an elite striker. You know, Tyron Woodley was always one punch. Like he was always looking for that one punch knockout on the feet. He was never an elite guy. Uh, Masvidal. I always thought Masvidal had very very underrated boxing. 
But also, I know people are going to say you're making excuses now after the fact, but Masvidal was never the biggest welterweight. Like, Masvidal was a lightweight for most of his career. Like, he was always giving up size and power to a lot of guys he fought at welterweight. And I also, and again, I know this sounds like I'm making excuses, but, like, he was at the end of his career, man. Like, he lost to Colby, and then he looked... He looked sluggish and kind of old against Burns, and he retired. Like he, I think, and I think Woodley was kind of the same thing. Like Woodley was at the tail end of his career. When I wish we had seen, I th- wish we had seen Woodley and Colby when Woodley was still champion. Like I think that would have been a much much better fight. But you know, it never happened. Um, Leon is, as you said, he's a sniper, man. He's as elite as it gets on the feet, and I think his confidence exploding by beating Usman twice in a row is really going to help him in this fight. So I don't know. I, I kind of disagree with you. I, I I do think he could, I think Colby could be a bad matchup for Leon. I just think where they're at in their careers right now, Leon, you know, by the time they fight, Colby's going to have been out for almost two years, you know, I just, and his last win was against Masvidal, who is not the same Masvidal as like four years ago when he knocked out Ben Askren. So I don't know. I don't, I'm just, I, I don't, I do, there's something about this matchup. I just feel like this is a, like, I think Bilal would have been a tougher fight. I'm just being honest. I think Bilal would have been a tougher fight. Well, Bilal's for sure the proper fight. And to be, to be uh, full disclosure here, like, I'm not necessarily, I'm not picking Colby to win this fight either, but I think Colby could cause him a lot of problems, a lot more problems than, um, than maybe meets the eye, right? Like, I, I think he could bring a lot more to the table than we think here. Um, and I mean, I can see like a lot of ways for him to pull this victory out, right? He has a lot of paths to victory here. Um, you know, like and again, like if it's if it's just a kickboxing match, if uh, uh, you know a proper kickboxing match with big gloves, like in Glory or something, you know, Leon doesn't even have to break a sweat doing this. But MMA, I think Colby's going to give him some real problems and probably win a round or two, and might even be a, a close decision. We'll see. I mean, like I said, I mean, it's intriguing. And uh, this is, I don't want to, when you're a guy of Colby's level in terms of like attention and star power, like you're never that far away from a title shot, but you have to imagine like two losses to Usman, one of them you got knocked out and got your jaw broken. And this is a fight that a lot of people are telling you you haven't earned. Like you haven't, you, I mean, if Colby dropped his, his shtick for five minutes and you asked him this question, did you really go through to deserve this title shot? You know, come on. He didn't beat Burns. He didn't beat Bilal. Yeah, I mean, there's there's beat, no doubt. It's, there's no yeah. question that it's not deserved. And like you said, you just got to drop that word from yeah. the vocabulary. <laughs> and, you know, the the sad part is it just it fucks Bilal Muhammad again, man. Like, I can't believe that this guy ain't got a title shot. Yeah, that's the hard part. But what I'm saying about Colby, though, is is like if you're Colby, you're already kind of getting away with one right now, right? Like, he doesn't really deserve this. If he loses to Leon... He might have to go through Shavkat Rachmanov. He might have to go through Gilbert Burns. He might have to go through Bilal Muhammad. He might like at that point you're like, man, I don't know. Like that's a that's a lot of work to get back there again. Like you might want to win this one because you may not get another one. And also it's not like Colby's like a super young guy. He's in his mid thirties. Like he's not like 25, 27, whatever doing this. Like he's an older guy. Uh, you know, if he loses to Leon Edwards, man, it might be a, it might be a tough road to get back to another title shot. You know what I mean? Like, especially at this level, like you look at a guy like Shavkat and even Machado, Gary guys like that coming up, uh, you know, and, and even guys like, you know, like Sean Brady's out there and, and, uh, 
you know, there's guys at welterweight who are really, really good right now, and and coming up in younger guys. Like, dude, it's a, it's a long road. Like, you better, you better, you better take this opportunity and win it because you may not get another one. Yeah, I have a hard time believing that he's going to continue fighting if he loses this fight. To be honest, I mean, he just doesn't come across to me like that kind of guy. Like you said, he hasn't fought for two years. Like, I don't think he's the. He's not built like me where I love fighting. And if, if I lost like 10 in a row, I'd still want to fight. Maybe I would or wouldn't. But, you know, he's the kind of guy where I think, um, you know, he's in there to get paid, get his money, um, get his – stir up as much shit as he can and get out. And, uh, you know, nothing against that. I'm not saying that's a wrong way to do it. I mean, had I worked – operated in that fashion, maybe I'd be uh, living in a bigger home right now, right? But <laughs> – it is what it is, right? But I, I just I don't see him. You know, the, this is how many title shots now for him. This is Three, third one, and, third title shot. And, yeah, yeah, and you know, like you said, he hasn't fought for two years. Like, what's what would he even do after this? You know, if he were to lose again, like you said, he's got a murderer's row coming up. Um, you know, if we talk about um, put that deserve word back in. You know, talk about him, does you know, earning one to get a deserved title shot, right? In the future, I mean, like you said, he's got a, he's got a lot of fucking hard work to do, and probably not going to be able to get that done. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of good guys out there who aren't even in that, in that ranking. You look at guys like, you know, I mean, you look at guys like Jack Della Maddalena, Kevin Holland. I mean, there's a guys like, and that's on the guys on like the fringe of the top fifteen. Like that's at the tail end of the top. Look at Brian Battle. Brian Battle just got a big submission win. He's off a couple big wins. Like, that guy's tough as nails. He's not even ranked. You know what I mean? Like, there's guys out there who are – this is a – I've always said welterweight is one of the deepest, nastiest divisions in the sport. It just did – for some reason, people never wanted to mention welterweight alongside lightweight, but I've always said welterweight. It's just because I think for a long time, because George was so dominant – we kind of forgot how good everyone else was. It's just George was was the best. But when you look at welterweight top to bottom, man, it's a murderer's row. And like you know, to get like look at what Leon had. Leon had to win like twelve fights in a row, whatever, to get to a title shot. Like he had to win like a ridiculous amount of fights to to finally get a title shot. Um, yeah, man, you can't you can't sleep on these opportunities. And and I don't think Colby is by any means. By the way, let me be clear about that. Like I don't think Colby's sleeping on how big this is for him. But I don't know that you're wrong if he loses this one. Like, if he does lose to Leon Edwards, like, does he have motivation to be like, oh, yeah, well, you can come back, but you're going to fight Shavkat Rachmanov. You're going to fight, you know, Ian Machado-Gary. You're going to fight Jack Della Maddalena. You're going to fight Kevin Holland. You're going to fight Brian Battle. You're going to fight, you know, you're going to fight those guys. Is Colby really going to want to do that? You may be right. Like, that may be it. You talk about how deep the division is. I mean, you keep forgetting to mention your favorite welterweight, too. Just Matthew saying. Mortal Brown. Yeah. Matthew I, mean, I hope I'm your favorite, and I don't know if I am, but you better be, yeah, man. If I if you're not my favorite, I'm screwed. That's that's uh, yeah. of course, of course, it's man. I want, I'm still waiting for Matthew Immortal Brown to fight on. Maybe, that, maybe that's why you don't like doing the podcast in person. So <laughs> say shit. <laughs> catch a straight, catch a straight left hand for what I'm saying on the podcast. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S., 
and visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Bay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, no, I'm so shot. Uh, you know, I mean, you keep saying he's a potential if Kobe were to lose, but we don't know that he's going to be Wonder Boy here. He's That's got true. that fight coming up. You know, that, you know, Wonder Boy is one of those guys, man. You don't fight him right. He's going to fucking get you. Kevin Holland found that out, right? Like, yep. I, like Kevin could beat Wonder Boy, I think, 90 out of 100 times. But that one time he's like, no, I'm going to stand with you. Not only am I going to stand with you, I'm going to do like distance uh, fighting with you. Like (laughs) I'm going to give you your space to let you throw your techniques and I'm going to throw mine too. And we're going to see who's better. Well, Wonder Boy is pretty fucking good at it. So, you know, you you don't want to play that game with them. I don't see Shavkat playing that game with them either. I I think Shavkat's going to close some distance on him, put a lot of pressure on him, be aggressive and fuck him up pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I mean, but Wonder Boy is one of those guys, man. Like he got Shavkat got drawn into a bit of a firefight with Jeff Neal, and he obviously ended up getting him and beating him. But like, you can't play that game with Wonder Boy. Like, you cannot play the like I'll trade you punch for punch with Wonder Boy because he will fuck you up from the outside. Like you'll be you'll be coming for you'll be coming towards you and those are with a question mark kick. You're like, where the fuck did that come from? Uh, that's just that dude. Like there is a there is a path to beat Wonder Boy that's been shown. But if you don't follow that path, he will he will dice you up and and leave you on the ground bloody. Like he is a nasty dude. Remember what he did to Masvidal? Remember what Wonder Boy did to Masvidal? Like every one forgets because Masvidal went out there and torched Ben Askren the way he did. Go back and watch him fight Wonder Boy. He could do anything. Could not do anything to Wonder Boy on the feet. Nothing. And it's what it, it always surprised me because uh, I always felt like uh, I kind of opened the mystery box of Wonder Boy <laughs> when I fought him. I was like, dude, like this is how you fight him. Like you walk forward, you bite down your mouthpiece, you walk forward, you might take a shot, uh, but don't stand out here where he can spin you know, where he can blitz where he can dance around with his fast feet and long limbs and shit like go forward and it doesn't even have to be a wrestling thing like you know everybody says i just wrestled him like i took him down most of i think three or four of the takedowns were sweeps you know like like muay thai style um like that's what you gotta do you gotta be right in his face and that is where guys with that style I see them all the time. Guys with that style do not handle it well, and they'll wear themselves out trying to create distance all the time. That's how you fight them. The blueprint is there. Um, you fight their style. You're they're probably going to win. That's that's what fighting is. Like it, it, that's literally what combat sports is. Like like Jordan Burroughs has a great double leg. We all know this, right? But everybody forgets what his real game is, is like, how does he get everybody to that double leg? Right. That's his whole game is setting it up to get to the, like wonder boys whole game is how do I 
impose my will on you by funneling you to my strength. And a lot of these guys, the, he doesn't have to funnel them. They they give it. They try to play to his strength. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think in a lot of ways, like the way you beat Wonder Boy was a blueprint for the way Tyron Woodley ended up fighting and beating Wonder Boy. Like he closed that distance. He would not let Wonder Boy have room to move. Um, even when he didn't get the takedown, he just didn't give him room to operate. You cannot give that dude room to operate. You give that guy room to operate, he is going to surgically pick you apart. You can't do it. You you did. And, and, and also, to be clear, because Steve Wonderboy Thompson is a very good fighter, like people try to do that and it doesn't work. But then you look at what Bilal Muhammad did. Bilal Muhammad, same thing, went in there, closed the distance, never gave him room to breathe. And it wasn't as, yes, the takedowns were obviously important, but like, Never allowing that dude enough. Like, if you give him enough room to throw a spin kick or to throw a question mark kick, he's going to fuck you up. Like, he is a really elite striker from the outside, and and you cannot give him that room. And, yeah, like, you made the blueprint, but it doesn't mean people are going to follow the blueprint. That's the problem. You know what I mean? And Wonderboy is still a really good fighter. So, uh, yeah, it's not it's not a not a, not a cakewalk for Shavkat Rachmanov. He's just going to walk through Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. It, it's, it's almost like if, if someone – was fighting Bo Nickel and and their entire game plan was to out wrestle him. Yeah, and it's like, like what are you doing? You know, <laughs> like I see that all the time with with these Wonder Boy fights, and you know it's like their game plan is like like Kevin Holland. I, I mean, I think Kevin took that one on a very short notice too. Was was that one of those? Or no, he... it wasn't. It wasn't short notice, but he had like that that basically like that gentleman's agreement. They weren't going to go for takedowns, yeah. and he actually stuck to it. Yeah, he stuck to it. Yeah, which is still fine. Like he doesn't have to go for takedowns, but you know it's um, you know Sanchai is very similar, right? If you if you fight with Sanchai, you know, like he's lost fights. Like people kind of forget that because he wasn't really famous until he started fighting internationally. But he lost a fair amount of fights in the stadiums because certain guys knew how to fight him. Right? You walk forward, you bite down your mouthpiece, you clinch him up, you grab him, you take away the space. You dirty box, you know, it's the same thing with wonder boy. And it's not saying that it's easy to accomplish either, you know? So I'm not, I'm not hating on someone for not being able to get it done, but it kind of takes me back sometimes when, when guys don't try to do that though, when they're trying to play into his game and trying to beat him in his own game. But I don't think Shavkat's going to do that moral of a story. And, um, you know, I would, I'm favoring Shavkat pretty heavy in this personally. Yeah, I lean Shavkat as well. Um, you know, it's an interesting matchup. And, you know, we got Ian Machado Gary against Vicente Luque. I just have so much respect for Vicente Luque. But I lean Ian Machado Gary in that one as well. I think he's, you know, at this stage in their career, I think he's a better striker overall. And Vicente has taken a lot of damage in his career. And I think that does eventually catch up to you. Um, it's, a, it's a new age, man. Like I said, if, if Leon beats Colby... You know, we could be at an age where we're looking at a completely different welterweight top five than we were two years ago, three years ago. I mean, when you think about the Turner, when you think about Blau now being the number one contender, and you think about Shavkat, you think about, you know, potentially Ian Machado, Gary, guys like that. And, you know, not to say like Gilbert Burns is that far gone. He just lost one fight to, to Bilal Muhammad. But like, 
the turnover is pretty dramatic when you think about like at the top of the welterweight division, like a year from now versus two or three years ago. You know, it's pretty crazy. Like where we and again, none of this is guaranteed. None of this is Vicente Luque could pull off a crazy submission and beat Ian Machado Gary, and Wonderboy could go in there and Shabcast like, you know what? I want to prove my strike against Wonderboy Thompson. He goes out there and gets knocked out and gets his head lopped off. I mean, it's possible. So you know, we can't just start changing the guard yet, but it's possible. We, six months from now, we could be looking at a whole different top five in that welterweight division. And, and I'll tell you what, like, I think we've watched this sport long enough that we got to learn the lessons that like, Shavkat might go in there and, and point fight with Wonder Boy and beat him. And, and Luke might knock out Ian Gary doing a Muay Thai style fight. <sighs> and, you know, Leon Edwards might take down Colby Covington. <laughs> you know, it's like, like, dude, I've watched this sport so much, uh, or I've seen so many crazy things happen in the sport like i don't put anything past it anymore like the athletes in the sport are fucking amazing um everybody's training so hard um you know everybody's getting such high level of training everywhere the coaches are coming up uh, i don't put anything past anyone anymore yeah you're absolutely right like i still live with regret about the whole sean strickland thing when i was like yeah he can't beat israel out of sign well fuck i was wrong on that one uh that one that didn't work out too well for me um Real quick before we get out of here, Matt, we talked about all the matchups that have been made. One that hasn't been made, and I want to bring this up because I just wrote an article about him yesterday, which is Sugar Sean O'Malley. He is uh, awaiting his next assignment as bantamweight champion. He did Joe Rogan's podcast, which I watched that thing. Dude, I know you've done Rogan. I I like Joe Rogan. Let me be clear about that. Like, I'm not, you know, Joe Rogan hater, but good God, dude. I tried to go to that pipe. It was three and a half hours long. I was like, good. I don't have three and a half hours to spare. Like, I don't know how anyone listens to this damn show for three and a half hours. Uh, I had on the background while I was watching the Canelo uh, Charlo prelims. I was like, Jesus Christ, this thing's three and a half hours long. Uh, anyways, I wrote a story about that. And O'Malley said, you know, he wanted to fight in December. UFC said, no, we want you to headline your own card next year. So he's going to headline his own card. And it looks like from what I'm hearing, the rumors I'm hearing, it's going to be February. Because I've heard rumors... February for O'Malley because April looks like UFC 300. Obviously, he's not going to headline that one on his own. We already know that's going to be like three title fights in that card, whatever it ends up being. I've heard Volkanovski is going to come back in January. I don't know about March, but it's looking like O'Malley in February is the rumor I'm hearing. And obviously, O'Malley is still pushing for the Cheeto Verified. Aljamain Sterling won a grappling match on Saturday, and he called him out again. Said, give me my rematch or fight Marab, fight the top contender. So, Matt... What's it going to be? Who's going to get O'Malley? What's what's going to be the what's going to be the end of this sweepstakes to fight Sean O'Malley? Well, I don't know. Are we talking about who's deserved or <laughs> who do you who do you it? who do you want to see? And you, if you're playing Sean Shelby or, or Mick Maynard, you're the matchmaker. Okay, taking away all the politics and bullshit. If you're the matchmaker, who is Sean O'Malley fighting next? Who should he fight next? If Matt Brown's a matchmaker, he's fighting Rob. Hundred percent. If he beats Morocco, he's fighting now, Joe. Yeah, I'm hundred percent agreement. Hundred percent agreement. Yeah, I think it's simple. You know, and, and like you said, um, or like I said, deserved or what's going to happen? He's fighting Cheeto. <laughs> yeah. All <laughs> right. I think he should be fighting Marab. Um, He wins. He fights out, Joe. Um. But what's probably going to happen is he fights Cheeto. If he wins, probably Marab Raljo. Yeah. I like Cheeto. Let me be clear about that. I like Cheeto Vera. He's a super tough guy. But we're talking, when we talk about sure. like who has, 
Not even let's let's get the dessert. Let's get deserves out of there. Let's just get that word out. Let's just talk about the well, fight. I'm not even going to completely say like Cheeto doesn't deserve it, right? But in a sense, he does. But not you know when you look at statistics and you know who beat who, you know, yeah. you know the whole picture. Like yeah, he's not the, like Marab deserves it. But go ahead. Yeah, but let, let so but let's eliminate deserves. But let's just talk about the fight. You know what I mean? Like Cheeto is a really good fighter, but O'Malley has a, to me, has a much easier path to victory to beat Cheeto Vera than he does to beat Marab or, or even Corey Sandhagen who's out there. Like I think Corey Sandhagen is a really interesting matchup because Corey's just as tall, just as long, nasty striker. He could do things to O'Malley on the feet that O'Malley really hasn't experienced. And I do at, listen, I call me, maybe I'm defending Aljamain Sterling, but I think Aljamain Sterling just had a really bad fight. He got caught and and had a terrible fight. And I still don't like the fact that he had to fight three months after going five rounds with Henry Cejudo. But that's neither here nor there. He took the fight. He accepted the fight. That's on Aljamain. But I still think a rematch could go much differently. But the Cheeto fight is a chance for O'Malley to defend his title successfully. You know, I think that's... I'm not saying it's an easy fight. It's certainly not an easy fight. I'm saying... To me, Sean O'Malley has a much clearer path to victory over Cheeto Vera than he does against yeah. Marab Dewalishvili. Like Marab, Marab is a is a takedown spam machine. He's going to go out. He's not hiding what he's going to do to you. You know what I mean? Like the chances of O'Malley losing that fight are much greater than him losing to Cheeto. He can he can lose to Cheeto. Let me be clear about it. He can lose to Cheeto. But it's a the, the 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 differences are so dramatic. Like the Marab fight, maybe it's 50-50, maybe it's less than I don't know what the actual odds are, like 50-50 who wins. I think it's like 70-30 with Cheetah. Like I think O'Malley, yes, he dealt with an injury the last time. That's legit. He didn't not get it. He did get injured. But he lost. I still think he has a much better chance of beating Cheeto. But he fights Marab, those odds drop dramatically to yeah. me. Right, yeah, and you're just talking about statistics and probabilities and shit. And that, uh, yeah, I'm right on point with that. Like his probability of beating Marab is far lower than his probability of beating Cheeto. Um, you know, and the, and the other thing too, you know, when he fights, if he fights Cheeto, which is what I think is most likely. Like, I feel like Sean O'Malley has improved more than Cheeto has, at, at least from what they've shown. You know, in the the octagon in their fights and what I have personally witnessed on TV. Um, there may, you know, that that could be completely wrong uh, behind the scenes. Right. But just from what I've seen, like Sean O'Malley has done a lot of things uh, better than he was doing back in the day. Whereas Cheeto is really maybe a sharper Cheeto, maybe a better Cheeto, but he's still like, like Cheeto, like, like Sean O'Malley is like, He's doing real. He looked really, really good, and he's doing a lot of really special things. I would agree. I would totally agree. And I think if we were picking that fight right now, Matt, I'd pick O'Malley to beat Cheeto Vera. Like I, I agree with you. I think he's gotten a lot better in areas. His his, his striking is 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 nastier. Pinpoint power. Um, we saw him go to war with Piotr Jan and, and it wasn't an easy fight and he gutted it out. And I'm not sitting there debating the decision again, but he gutted out the win. He got the job done. Then he went out there and sniped Aljamain Sterling and did a great job at that. I don't know that I've seen dramatic changes and improvements in Cheetah where I'm like, man, he's going to make it a much different fight for O'Malley. 
I feel the other way. I feel like O'Malley's gotten that much better where he's going to make it a different fight for Cheeto than it would have been you know, three years ago when they fought. Um, but again, I think Marab's the guy. It, it bums me out. And this is this this to me, this to me even goes beyond the the um, the Colby Covington thing. Like I like, like Colby Covington, like it or not, he's a pretty solid name. Like I, you don't have to like what he says. I certainly don't. But he's a pretty well-known name. Like, he's a pretty marketable name. Everyone knows Colby Covington, right? You can argue Colby Covington as one of the bigger names in the UFC, right? That's true. Like, that, no one can debate that. That's true. I don't know that Cheeto Vera is that guy. Like, I know Cheeto's popular, but I don't know that you're like... The reason Cheeto's getting it is because Cheeto has the win over O'Malley, and O'Malley wants it back. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think Cheeto is that much bigger of a name than Marab DeWallisville. They were like, oh, my God. It's like, you know, dramatic difference in sales pay-per-views. I don't think it's that I don't think it's that dramatic. You know what I mean? Cheeto's only headlined a couple of cards in his career. It's not like he's headlined pay-per-views and, you know, he's like a, you know, a, a multi-time pay-per-view co-main event or anything like that. Like, I don't think Cheeto's that much bigger of a name than Marab. He's getting it because he has the win over O'Malley. That's what's getting him the title shot, not because he's like a superstar and Marab's not. I don't think there's I don't think there's that much difference in their name value, but Cheeto has the the golden ticket because he has the win over O'Malley. Yeah, to be fair, I'm not sure. Well, I, I think it's pretty obvious. No one else in that division like carries the name value that O'Malley does, right? Like O'Malley is the star of that division, and then he went out there and won the belt. So everybody vying to fight him is going to be the B-side. Yeah, you're absolutely right. But that's also, we think about with like the Connor thing, when Connor, you know, got to the top of the sport, like that's also a benefit to him though, because O'Malley is the A-side. Like you don't have to be a star to fight O'Malley because O'Malley's the star. Like O'Malley is the star. He's going to sell the card because he's Sean O'Malley. And that's legit. And I, I, I do believe that. I think he is on his way to becoming one of the top three or four people in the store. The problem is, and this is where you get him to avoid Marab Dewalishvili, is you want him to stay champion. And you put him in there with Marab Dewalishvili, there's a much greater chance he's not champion anymore. Right, which is why I think he fights ends up fighting Cheeto, right? Because he wants it. The UFC said, okay, we, we would prefer you to have a, a better path to defending this. Like, they're a big star for us. So it works for us. O'Malley wants it. Let, let's go. Why not do it? Yeah. Well, there was that time, if you remember, when Connor was coming up, people were complaining that he wasn't fighting. Like, he was fighting Dennis Seaver and guys like that. And they're like, why isn't he fighting? Like, the, you know, why isn't he fighting the Chad Mendez of the world and so on and so forth? And he ended up getting Chad Mendez on short notice. But, like, you remember that, right? Like, the complaints back then. Like, why isn't he fighting the best guy? Why isn't he fighting these? And Because there is a path for some of these guys. And like it or not, that's right. Now, I don't think Sean O'Malley, I don't think Sean O'Malley, and it would be clear, I don't think he's, he's scared of Marab Dewalish, really. I just think that he knows that's a much more difficult matchup than fighting Cheeto Vera. Cheeto Vera is a very winnable fight, and I would favor Sean O'Malley to win that fight. I don't know that I would favor him to beat Marab Dewalish, really, and I don't know that I'd favor him to beat Aljamain Sterling a second time, and those are the other two guys right in line there you know i mean now there there are other fights like i think him and sanhagen's a really interesting fight i think it's a really fun fight i hope we get to see that one day but yeah marab i don't know if you beat marab aljermaine i don't know if you beat him again but can you beat cheeto yeah i think you can i i and i think i would pick him to beat be cheeto yeah like i said it makes sense on all fronts so it's probably gonna be cheeto and um 
you know, could it, hopefully it ends up being a great fight, man. I, I think Cheeto, I love Cheeto and I'm going to be cheering for him. Um, not that I dislike O'Malley, but I really like Cheeto, man. And I really hope that he's able to pull it out. But uh, the way O'Malley's looked lately, I think it's a, a tough road for uh, Cheeto Vera. I'd say what real quick, though, I do want to mention, listen to that Rogan podcast, because I've interviewed Sean a couple of times, but I don't know him that well. And Sean has this like very public persona demeanor, the colorful hair, and he's you know, smoking weed and doing all that kind of stuff. He's got like kind of like that out there demeanor. But he was talking about like how he lived a championship mindset before he was a champion, like, you know, eating right, going to bed early, like just training, you know, not partying like he. Like he talked about like not like going out and celebrating wins because he wanted to focus on training. Like we kind of get this perception of O'Malley as this like, you know, kind of out there kind of dude and smoking weed and like, you know, kind of like, like that that persona about him. But to hear him talk about it, like I actually was super impressed by it. He's like, no, no, I'm working constantly. Like I'm in the gym constantly. I, I eat right constantly. I sleep. I do this. I do that. I, I don't do this. I don't like he was kind of impressive to me, like how super dedicated he was like he doesn't half-ass anything and i was kind of impressed by that not to say i had a bad opinion of him but like the persona the the outward kind of flashy persona of sean o'malley you kind of get an impression of him when you hear him talk about it, he's like no no i'm in the lab working like that's what i'm doing i'm in the lab working and he's like i think that's what separates me from a lot of the guys in the division is because i never stopped working like i was living like i was living what i i was living a life as a champion before i was a champion i was doing the two a days and this and that and the nutrition and blah 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 all the little things he was doing before he got to the title and he's like now that i'm the champion i gotta work that much harder and i was like i was impressed like i was impressed he had that kind of mindset and like i don't party i don't drink i don't do anything like i just stay home i work you know, be with my, my, my girlfriend and my kid and I work and I work and I work. And I was like, that was super impressive. I was like really impressed by that. Yeah. And I respect that. I mean, that's, uh, I, I tell all fighters that I train, I said, you, you need to train like a champion before you're champion. You know, you, you don't become champion. Then all of a sudden s- start to train like a champion, right? That, <laughs> that doesn't make any sense at all. Does it? So, um, I, I respect all that. Um, it, you know, I think the the only thing when I hear people say that kind of stuff, um, I, I always do have a question of, you know, what their definition of like hard work is, what their definition of living like a champion is, um, eating right and all those things, because everybody's definition is a little bit different. Like some people, what they consider hard work is a warm up for someone else. So, um, you know, and and some people talk a big game, but not necessarily walk a big game. So um, that's not to say that he's not doing that, but um, that, I just always keep that in the back of my mind. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. You're right. I just, I was just impressed by the attitude. You know what I mean? Like the attitude was right. Like he's just like, I'm not, I'm not the dude you think I am. Like I'm not the guy out there partying and being doing stupid stuff on my free time and like, you know, just celebrating life as a champion. Like I'm working my ass off and cause that's what it takes. Like I know we talk about wow. Connor a lot, you know, you talk about Connor a lot and Dana says it all the time. Like, you know, when you're, when you become that wealthy and that rich and you don't need to do anything, it does get harder to motivate yourself. Like when you're waking up on a yacht in the middle of the freaking Mediterranean on a $30 million yacht or whatever, you know, you wake up and you, you know, are you motivated to, 
dock your boat and go run uh, do an eight minute do you do eight miles on the road and like are you motivated to go to the gym and work you know to 30 hours a week or whatever the number is like it's true and so yeah like you know O'Malley's a star and I'm sure he's got a lot of money in his bank account but the fact that he's still dedicated to do it and wants to do it even harder says a lot because you and I both know man it can backfire on you rather quickly if you let fame get to your head and you let that celebrity get to your head man it can it can ruin you in a hurry yeah, well, I gotta say, I hope he's doing the truth because I think he has a high ceiling, and I really enjoy watching him fight. Um, I didn't care for the dude when he first came in the UFC. I didn't think his ceiling was as high as it is, and uh, but the more I've watched him, the more he's kind of grown on me. And um, I actually believe him when he's saying that. But um, I hope that he's being truthful with it. I hope he's putting in the work because I can't wait to see what he does. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, Matt, we're going to get out of here. Obviously, next week uh, we got more. The UFC's back on a streak now. We got uh, UFC uh, Vegas 80 this weekend, Grant Dawson and Bobby Green. And then next weekend is kind of a weird one. Uh, it was Sadiq Youssef and somebody, I can't remember who it is, even in the main event. But then we roll into Islam Makachev. And, uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, Bar- It's Barbosa. Barbosa. Barbosa and Youssef are the main event next week, which is kind of an odd one. Um, yeah. And then, uh, then we roll into UFC 294, which, of course, is Paulo Costa, Hamza Chemaev, and Islam Makachev against Charles Oliveira. That's a good one. So we'll have lots to talk about with that. Also, next weekend, big box. I mean, we just had Canelo fight Charlo, which was a 12-round boxing match. The real championship boxing match is next weekend, KSI against Tommy Fury and Logan Paul against Dylan Danis, your boy Dylan Danis. Uh, so we'll talk about that next week as well. We'll actually break down and make picks for those fights, Matt. Are you ready? Are you excited? We have to. Yeah, we have to. We have to do. We have to. We have to do picks for Logan Paul and, and uh, Dylan Danis. We got to do it. It's it's a necessary evil. All right, well, let's do it. I don't know who KSI is still. I still haven't never Googled him. So I make my picks the best I can. You're not, you're not missing much. Let me just leave it. Let me just tell you that. You're not missing much. Uh, so, yeah, that's we, we next weekend. We, we got to start putting something on the line with these picks. Uh. Yeah, we can. Are you still trying to make up the difference for that Conor McGregor bet from all those years ago? Is that what you're trying to do to me right now? I'm still trying to double or nothing <laughs> you on everything. <laughs> you bet against you bet against Connor and Jose Aldo, and I beat you, and you've never lived that one down. How much do I owe you still? I haven't even paid you. I think like two hundred fifty bucks, something like that. I gotta make sure I get you, bro. <laughs> That's not one to be on bets, so I I do gotta get you. I will. It's been what ten years? <laughs> yeah, like six, seven years now. I think something like that. We've had that bet going that, that never got paid off. You know, it is what it is. Like I said, this it's uh you know I like having the scoreboard. I like having the scoreboard knowing that you the, I have one over on you. So that's uh, that's as good as money in some households. All right, we'll take it. <laughs> we'll talk about that next. yeah like me picking logan paul and dylan dan is like i don't have a lot of confidence in either any pick i make on that fight card yeah. uh we'll, <laughs> well see that's why i want to put something on the line because yeah because we have no idea who's actually gonna win because they both suck so yeah there you go exactly and we're like uh, i have no idea one guy throws a punch the other one doesn't i don't know uh so yeah we got that then we got mikachev and uh Oliver, and then the other month we got in god and fury october is a weird month matt it is a weird month months for fights we could literally change the whole show just to talking about the fucking influencer fights he's there's so True. many of them now there are there are a lot of them there are a lot of them yeah Ngannou's already fighting Usyk now he's like I got Ngannou but that's easy work I'm gonna go and f- sign to fight Alexander Usyk in December January which I think tells you everything you need to know about the Ngannou fight if I'm being honest but you know we'll see how it all plays out come October 28th 
seeing that it got out tweeted about it, like, oh, you better worry about what's going to happen with me. And I was like, I mean, I feel where you're coming from there, Francis, but I don't think Tyson's feeling what you're saying, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I had the same thought. I'm like, I get, I get it. I get what you're saying. And I understand the perception of like, you're kind of getting disrespected by him taking a fight, you know, three months after he's fighting you. But I mean, come on. I mean, you know, I mean, I, I think Tyson did that on purpose too. Like after I thought about it, I was like, I was like, he knew he was going to take that Usyk fight right before he fought Francis, like just to disrespect him. Yeah. Like, it's a, like, I think he like, planned all this out. This is like a, I think, I think it's like, it's almost like a glorified sparring session. Like, cause now you, you know, Matt, if he's signed to fight Usyk in December, January, he is not going to dick around with Francis Ngannou. He's not going to risk that. He's not. Cause there was a part of me that thought if, if, if Tyson just didn't give a shit that maybe like maybe he could get caught at one point. I didn't, I still didn't think he would lose. I'm just saying like, he might half ass it and get clipped and be like, Oh shit. I guess I got to start fighting. Right. I don't think there's any chance of that right now. If he's fighting Usyk in, in December, January, and that is literally for the crown of the best heavyweight in boxing. And if he beats Usyk, who else is there for him to fight? Like that's the end of the road. There's no way he's going to half-ass it against Francis Ngannou. There's no way he's going to go out there and half-ass it against Francis Ngannou. It won't happen. Dude, he's going to make so much money this year. <laughs> but, he's I mean, but seriously, right? Like, you can't you can't risk that. Like, you cannot, like, th- there, was, there was little to no risk for Floyd Mayweather when he fought Conor McGregor. Like, realistically, but also, like, business-wise, he had already beaten everyone he could possibly beat. He'd beaten Pacquiao. He'd beaten Alvarez. He'd beaten Canelo. He'd beaten all these guys. We now know that Tyson has the fight we all want. The Usyk fight's what we've wanted for him. That's booked. He's not going to dick around and let Francis Ngannou stick around with him for 12 rounds. My only question is, okay, I, I don't think it's going to happen, but what if Francis does knock him out? <laughs> the world changes forever. <laughs> like, does he still fight Usyk? Does that fight even mean anything at that point? And again, I don't think it's going to happen. I mean, you know, I don't think it, you know, I think Tyson's going to, you know, do whatever he wants to do, but there is that chance. I mean, France is a big, hard hitting heavyweight. Like there is a chance somewhere in hell, you know, maybe in the deepest depths of hell, but there is a chance down there somewhere. But I think, I think also the other, the other side of this, Matt, and I said, I know I had this conversation with his head coach, Eric Nixick, but I said, if Francis somehow pulls it off, this one in a million chance, he pulls it off and knocks out Tyson Fury. I don't think he ever comes back to MMA. Why would you, why would you come back no. and fight MMA when you can make another $50 million payday for a Tyson rematch or whatever out? Like, you know what I mean? Like, why would you even, why would you even consider coming back to MMA? Dude, I mean, if he knocks out Tyson, I mean, I mean, my suggestion is, you know, just do the Eddie Bravo and just walk away, bro. Like, <laughs> like, I'm done. Like, but, but know, I mean, if he's making, if he's, if he's hyping, let's just say he's making $10 million or $12 million to fight Tyson this time. I don't know what the actual number is. Let's just say that's the number. He, he knocks out Tyson Fury. He gets 50 million for the rematch. You know what I mean? Yeah, like you, you just walk, you like, yeah. Okay. Maybe you should walk away, but you get 50 million. Why would you ever come back to MMA? Like, or, or you, you know, you start in Gato promotions and yeah, and you, you know, yeah, you fucking, you know, do it Floyd style and you make a hundred million for the rematch. I mean, 
yeah, the obviously like the, the there's no limit on what he does if he actually pulls that off, uh, you know. Yeah. It's just a matter of pulling it off. You got you got to fucking do it, you know, and uh, which is pretty unlikely, but if he does, <laughs> you know, that really fucks Tyson's career up. <laughs> you know, it's crazy. I was watching covering Canelo and Charlo last night and I watch I don't watch a lot of boxing. I watch the big fights. I fully admit. I watch Crawford and Spence. I watch the big fights. I fully admit I'm not super immersed in boxing like you are. You are like a hard, hardcore boxing fan. But I've watched a lot of influencer boxing over these last few years, kind of because that's just part of my job now is like watching Jake Paul and Logan Paul and whatever these fucking misfits fights, whatever they are. Dude, it is so hilarious to see the skill level when you watch Canelo and Charlo go out there and fight. And then you think about because Jake Paul was doing commentary and he's like, Canelo couldn't handle my power. And I literally burst out laughing. I was like, dude, stop. Like, I've always said stop with that. But like watching Canelo last night and then watching Jake Paul fight Nate Diaz, I'm like, dude, stop. Stop talking. Yeah. Stop. This is, it is so, the the fight. Did you watch Canelo Charlo last night? Did you watch the fight? I uh, just watched the highlights. The, 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 the one before that was Ugas versus Barrios, I think was the name of the fight. The co-main event. Uh, watching those dudes fight and those guys, I think are light heavyweights. So they're closer in weight to what like Jake Paul would be, dude. I mean, it would the fight would last four minutes, maybe like maybe four minutes. Like the way they snap off their jabs and their combinations and their oh my god, like it's just like it's it's a different. Like I've always said it's a different world, but holy crap, is it a different world when you talk about like that level of boxing versus what we're seeing Jake Paul do. <laughs> A hundred percent. And, and that's just what you see it on TV. You know, the, the level, you know, when you're in the trenches with guys like that, I mean, I've been with pro boxers many times, man. And like, it's just a different world, man. When you stand right in front of the guy, like there's things you can't see on TV that these guys are doing to you. That is absolutely mind blowing. And, and like, you can be a really, really good boxer. You know, that's why these guys, you know, in MMA, like they become really, really good boxers. But that's different than being a high level professional boxer. Like that's yeah. not a really, really good boxer. That's a fucking professional elite level boxer. And we talk about Canelo. I mean, bro, the way that he beat Charlo was fucking amazing. And, and I'm not even the hugest Canelo fan. Like I think he's a little bit overrated and, you know, I think he's lost a lot of fights that they gave to him, but like a, a dude like that, like like Jake Paul's never even seen a, a level like that in the gym. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just and like you can't, what you can't watch it on TV. You can't watch it on TV and say I'm going to beat that guy. <laughs> you know, like you got to box your whole life and work your way up to that level. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like it's just it just doesn't work that way. Like what you're seeing on TV does not do justice for the level of things that he's doing in there. Yeah. It's uh, it was like, I remember they interviewed him one time and he, so he brought up David Benavidez who was closer to him and wait. And he's like, I want no part of that. Cause you're smart enough to know 
you're going to get fucked up if you fight David Benavidez. Like, you're going to, if you fight the, the guys around you, like, you're hoping because Canelo is a 164-pounder and you're 187 pounds that maybe your size and power could save you in there. Fight someone around your size, dude. Fight a 185-pound boxer. You're going to get fucked up real bad. It's going to get ugly in a hurry. Those guys are going, because I like, watched the light heavyweights last night. I was like, oh, my God. And those guys weren't even like, you know, they're not even like the champions of that division. They're just like the the next le- the next step down. They're not even they're not even of the Benavidez level or of whatever that was a better BF and those kind of guys who are the higher weight classes. You will get fucked up. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You got better BF. You got Bivol. Um, Canelo can step up to that weight. Um, well, look what Demetri yeah. Bivol did to Canelo. Look what Bivol did to Canelo. I mean. <laughs> Right. <laughs> That's what I'm saying, bro. Like, yeah. Yeah. Jake Paul. I don't know why he's saying these things. Well, that's why I go back again. I'll close out on this. That's why I kind of always go back to the Ngannou thing. Like, yes, you're right. We're all right. Ngannou has that puncher's chance. He does. Cause he does have, as Joe Rogan called the nuclear option. He does have that, but on paper, unless he somehow uncorks one that just, we never see coming. And certainly Tyson Fury doesn't see coming. I don't like his chances to do much of anything against Tyson Fury. And that's not a knock on Francis Ngannou. We're talking about Tyson fucking Fury, the greatest, the best heavyweight boxer of the last maybe 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, dude, I, I messaged with uh, some people and talk with some people that they're saying they think Tyson's the best boxer they've ever seen. They're like, he's up there, you know, Ali and Frazier and, Joe Lewis, all these guys. I'm like, I never really thought of him as that great, but maybe he is. I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. But that's what I said. Now that he booked the Usyk fight, I think that's bad news for Francis. I really, really, truly do. I think that's bad news because, like, maybe he'd go in there a little out of shape and, you know, he could just, like, you know, fuck around and beat Tyson, you know, fuck around and beat Francis Ghana. If he's getting ready for Alexander Usyk three months later, he ain't going to fuck around. No, it's going to be a tune-up <laughs> fight for him. Yeah, so it's a sparring match. It's his way to get ready for Usyk. It's way his way to build the hype for Usyk. Yeah, except it's uh, you know, it's kind of a tune-up fight, but it's just going to be in front of millions of people, man. We're all going to pay to watch it, and you know, and you know, Francis is a much much different fighter than Usyk. Though it's the only thing, like, <laughs> you know, odd, not maybe not so much a tune-up fight because they're they're polar opposites, but. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you, man. Like, Francis isn't going to fuck around. He's going to go in there. And I mean, he might, though. Like, once he gets his rhythm going, she might go in there and just fucking dance around, have fun. Who knows? We'll see. A couple weeks away. All right, folks. That is our podcast for this week. We appreciate you sticking around. We were off for a couple weeks, so we went a little extra time here for you this week. We appreciate everyone tuning in. As always, make sure you check us on all your favorite podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and, of course, over on the best website in the world, MMAfighting.com. Matt Brown, where can they check out and support you? I am the immortal Instagram and Twitter, except my Twitter just got hacked, so I haven't been on there in a couple of weeks. I got to go through that process of fixing it so uh i'll be back on there soon facebook uh the immortal on facebook immortal my brown the immortal coffee um that's it today all right well folks we'll be back next week we'll kind of talk about the fallout from this ufc coming up this weekend next weekend of course we roll into the spectacular ksi uh, Tommy Fury and Logan Paul versus Dylan Danis card. I know we're all very excited about that coming up. So stay tuned for that next week. And for Matt Brown, I'm Damon Martin. We'll see you guys next week for another edition of the fighter versus the writer. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you then.
Fox Media Podcast Network. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. <laughs> 